0: Steve here with a quick announcement before we get started. They only happen once a year. Fig Camp and Lemon Camp are live online intensives about how to grow figs and how to grow lemons in cold climates. These are live, they're online, they're small groups and they fill up quickly. Fig Camp is March 18th and 19th, Lemon Camp March 25th and 26th. Grab your spot now, you can find out more at foodgardenlife.com. Now, back to the show.
1: So this is the berry that sort of supports that theory that the worse something tastes, the better it is for you. Nothing was going on with choke berries in uh, Canada and the United States. We gave it a bad name and we just let it grow in the wild. But someone took some plants to Russia. And in Russia, they crossed it with the mountain ash and got much larger berries and eventually, we re-imported the cultivated aronias from Europe back into Canada and started growing them.
0: You're listening to the Food Garden Life Show, the show that brings together gardening, food, and the human story. I'm your host, Emma Biggs. And I'm Stephen Biggs. We talk to creative food gardeners and Farm and garden experts who break the rules and make new ones too. My first elderberry bush came from my friend Anton's farm. I planted that elderberry bush in my Toronto yard and it thrived. It was bulletproof for me. I made elderflower champagne, elderberry juice, elderberry pie. And my wife Shelley did her own thing with our elderberries. One day, I noticed a couple of aluminum pie plates on the dashboard of our car. Looking closer, there were shriveled black dots on them. "What's up in the car?" I asked Shelley. "The hot car method," she explained as she told me about her new drying method for herbs and small fruit. We had lots of dried elderberry tea that winter. There are lots of fruit crops, like elderberry, that fly under the radar. Maybe some home gardeners and foragers know of them, but they haven't made their way into commercial production, at least not on a big scale. Today, we head to Quebec to find out more about some of these crops, how to grow them, what kind of potential they offer growers, and where they're at in terms of commercialization. Laurie Brown is an agronomist with a multi-stakeholder co-op in Quebec. That's a cooperative where both farmers and employees are members. Culture Innov, and in English that would be like Culture Inov, innovation focuses on new crops, fruits, nuts, and forest crops like mushrooms and ginseng. The co-op helps farmers navigate crop choice, set up growing and processing. If you're a grower considering crop opportunities, I think you'll like this episode. And if you're a home gardener, this is for you too. These are plants that I've seen woven into edible landscapes and food forests. In our talk today, we'll cover elderberry, hascap, and aronia, also known as chokeberry. You can find Innov online at kultureenov.qc.ca. I'll spell that, C-U-L. T-U-R-I-N-N-O-V dot dot C-A. Now, here's our chat with Laurie Brown. Laurie, thanks for joining us today on the podcast.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: I'm really excited to talk about the specialty crops and agroforestry. And maybe we could just start out today by finding out how you got into specialty crops and agroforestry.
1: Well, I used to run a garden center and a nursery for 26 years. And we were always very interested in uh, weird plants, including weird berries. So I had some, uh, a little bit of experience with that. And then eventually that ended, that situation ended. And uh, this job came up. Uh, It was a job for an agronomist and I hadn't practiced agronomy for 24 years. But I figured it, with these weird crops, uh, I knew just about as much about them as anybody else. So it was probably a good place to jump back in. And uh, that's what I did.
0: So you jump back then to in to Kulture Innov, And let's just talk about what that is, because it's such an interesting model.
1: Well, you know, it's a, what you call a solidarity co-op or a multi-stakeholder holder co-op, and I think it's a type of co-op that doesn't exist very much outside of the province of Quebec. Uh, so, in this model, there's not only the the, the farmers that use it are members, but also the workers are members. That's what makes it a little bit different. So, uh, we have this co-op to support the the development of a certain variety of new crops, not all new crops, but uh, I'd say mainly new fruit crops, uh, nuts, which we consider all to be new, Mm -hmm. Um, mushrooms grown under forest cover and other um, crops that can be grown in the forest, like ginseng and things like that, and uh, medicinal plants. So that's sort of what we cover. But I'd say really the most popular ones are the berries and the nuts. Okay. So we um we help farmers, you know, decide what to grow, prepare their fields, how to set up their orchard, and then we go in and help them with uh, after the aftercare about planting and pruning and things. And we also have a whole bunch of courses. Uh, on our crops that we give uh, in person or online uh, well once a year maybe and we have a research orchard north of sherbrooke that's about four and a half hectares it's almost mature getting there although we're starting to harvest quite a few things so i'll do some research there and the latest thing we're doing is um adding some processing equipment, small-scale processing equipment. So our hope is to um, help our growers sort of from A to Z, uh, not just with the growing, but also developing their products and um, finding the right machinery to do that on a smaller scale and how to market them. It's a busy time,
0: yeah. Yeah. So the demonstration orchard, is that something that people who are in the area and are interested in learning more could come and see
1: yeah there could be times there are times there are visits from time to time and uh, yeah it's very interesting to see on the website sign up for our uh, information letter which is in French Mm -hmm. Uh, practice your French and
0: (laughs) okay and I will post the link to the website Mm -hmm. in the show notes for for people who are interested in learning more Interesting to hear, too, that there's the processing equipment so that farmers and growers can get help with that whole processing piece.
1: Processing and marketing, I think, takes up almost as much time as producing, sometimes mm-hmm. more. So it's it's not to be neglected in planning, and uh, we're hoping maybe some uh some of our growers will will get together and sort of cooperate on joint ventures so that it doesn't take up so much time for them it can be very demanding
0: what a great idea well i have a whole list of crops that i want to ask you about lori i wonder is there do you have a favorite crop that we should start with
1: i like HaskAps. i don't even remember if you put them on your list or not
0: um, Yes, they're on there. So let's let's start with hascaps or honey berries. Some people might know them by that name. I guess
1: why they are exciting is because they're so good to eat fresh out of hand, really on a par, on a par with blueberries, raspberries, and strawberries. And in my humble opinion, I like them better. So it was very exciting to kind of be there when a new crop of that quality in that interest was born, well, born, launched, shall we say, and started to be developed to see the different twists and turns that that has taken. So the hascap, it looks like a sort of a tubular blueberry, Mm -hmm. sort of similar color, but it's not the same shape and the plant is different too. And um, they're ripe in, uh, in late June and July, quite early and they taste fantastic they just have uh, so much flavor and they i really like them uh, they're in the honeysuckle family so we uh don't have a lot of fruit from that family sort of think of pin cherries they'd be in the pin cherry family but pin cherries don't taste good and paskouts mm-hmm. do so it's been fun to work on uh, learning about the best cultivars and how to fertilize them, how to prune them, which I'm still trying to figure out.
0: Do you have any pruning tips to to share?
1: I would say to prune moderately. Yeah, you do have to prune, but you don't you don't want to go at them too hard. I guess that's what I learned over the past couple of years. Yeah. Okay. The, the plants kind of naturally the weight of the fruit bends the branches all the time so plant is is always kind of reshaping itself and you kind of have to go along with that and just sort of edit it you know and take off all the bottom branches that uh, are hard to harvest and that get in the way.
0: Well the the fact that it's such an early fruit too is I think an attractive thing, both for gardeners and, and farmers, because it stretches out the season, uh, the, the sales season for fruit.
1: For sure. Yeah, I think uh, the, the only fruit that's maybe earlier are strawberries. Mm-hmm. Basically, the Haskap goes through its whole yearly life cycle in 60 or 80 days, you know, and then it just sits around and doesn't know too much what to do with the rest of the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it comes from no more Northern climate it actually might have trouble growing in uh, the warmer parts of Canada because the winters aren't cold enough.
0: So it needs that chill. Well,
1: it, ne- it needs things to stay cold, you know, somewhere like I know they did tests in Oregon, which is kind of like Southern BC mm-hmm. and, uh, You know, in the winter, there were just too many mild spells, and the plants would start waking up and start budding a little bit, and then they'd freeze, and then wake up again, start to bud, freeze, and it depends on the cultivars, but uh, they really like a nice, steady cold.
0: And where is Haskat production at in, in Quebec? Are there people who now have them available commercially, or is it still in the experimental stage?
1: No, i it went through a, a funny detour, shall we say? Uh, it was launched as a um, quote unquote "industrial crop," and people were going to grow acres and acres of it and sell it wholesale and it was going to be marketed sort of like wild blueberries are. That model it just didn't work out because you know it's not it's a big risk to plant acres and acres and acres and then in the end well the people who were supposed to market them never had enough to sell in volume and the price wasn't the price wasn't good enough so that the farmer could make a profit anyway that it's still going on but the model the model kind of fell apart for a lot of people and so they did what they had to do considering they couldn't sell to the People they want they thought they'd sell to they all started doing you pick, mm. and um, there was a nice surprise. It worked. It works out very well uh, for most of them, and people like them just the way they like blueberry. Once they get to know them, they like them just as much as going like to a high bush blueberry place, and so now it's more a model. Around uh, around you pick and around um, selling them fresh, but it's a berry that is more fragile than a blueberry. Uh, mm-hmm. See more, more like a raspberry. Shelf life life is not as long, and you have to be you have to pick them by hand if you want to sell them fresh. So I guess that is really what's limiting things now. Uh, because I'm sure maybe there'd be some grocery stores that would like to get them, but it's hard to keep them supplied. They're only available for three or four weeks and they're fragile. So that that's the part that needs to be worked out before I think they will go to the next level.
0: So that's caps, and that's one that you're very excited about. And one that really jumped out to, at me when I was looking at the different crops you're working with is elderberry, because when I've mentioned elderberry to people, I find sometimes it's a novelty for urban people, and then people in rural areas are surprised because it just grows on its own sometimes.
1: Yeah, elderberry is, uh, oh, it's a great plant too. It's a nice one to contrast with hascaps in some ways. Um, very medicinal In Europe, it's not quite the same subspecies, but almost. And there it has a long history in uh, folklore and folk medicine, both the flowers and the berries. And a lot of those things can be done with our Canadian elderberry. So yeah, it's native plant and grows uh, all the way up the eastern seaboard to the Gaspé Peninsula sort of in heavier soils in, um, along rivers and streams. This is a plant that likes water. doesn't like wet feet, but it likes a heavier soil. doesn't like to run out of water. It likes rich soils. Uh, I mean, if it's broken by the ice of the river, if all the branches are broken, it can grow back eight feet the next year. It's, it's it's like an, a, a rebounding rubber plant, you know. It, it, when it's happy, it can really grow. And when it's sad, uh, it's it's very sad. And uh, hmm. <laughs> it's a little bit of a temperamental plant, you know. I, I'm always a little bit more nervous with my elderberry growers. Even if it's going well, I always stay nervous. It's not it's a steady eddy like a, like a hascap plant, you know. I guess maybe... Being Indigenous to Canada, it has its whole host of diseases and insects and birds that are all co-evolved with it. And most of the time, things are okay, but you never know what's going to pop up. Birds love them. They love hascaps too. You cannot get a hascap crop without netting against the birds. And uh, for elderberries, you would say the same thing but because the value of the berries is lower for some growers you know it just doesn't seem economically viable to put nets on them and because they're taller it's a little bit trickier but really the birds uh, the birds go nuts over them and you do have to try and scare them off Uh, if you don't use nets then you have to use uh, kites that look like birds of prey or those recordings of birds and prey and birds in distress, or you, you have to do something because you will lose uh, a lot of them. And they, they ripen in uh, oh, the middle of August to the beginning of September, I guess, depending on where you are, but it's really fun to also harvest some of the flowers. The flowers are beautiful. They're in big um, signs, I guess would be the word. And uh, you dry them and you can make, uh, a delicious sort of fermented lemonade drink with them or you can make tea herb teas with them and then you don't have to worry about the birds right
0: yeah
1: <laughs> i'd say uh you can't sell them fresh because they're not quite tasty enough they don't taste awful by any stretch but they're not as distinctive you know mm. it's a little bit more subtle And you have to make sure they're really ripe, because you can have stomach upsets, sometimes severe, by eating elderberries that are not ripe enough. So you have to be careful.
0: With elderberry, then, on on a commercial scale, where is it at? Are there people who have ramped up commercial production, and and what are they doing with them?
1: Uh, If you're an elderberry producer in Quebec, you have to be processing your own stuff, because there's no buyer that's gonna give you a price that's really gonna let you make a living, I don't think. Okay. Or, you know, it's difficult. I guess it could be done if you were really athletic, uh, because you've got to harvest these things and uh, it's go, go, go at harvest time. And, um, but most of the growers are, are making, Different things. And I guess that's another place where there's a blockage because if you wanted to make um, medicinal products, elderberry is known to be uh, antiviral. But uh, ha- getting the paperwork to market uh, cough syrup, for example, it can take you seven or eight years and many thousands of dollars because it's controlled by federal legislation. Okay. So, yeah, that's a place where it blocks. So I wouldn't, I had more clients in Elderberry 10 years ago than I do now. It's a little more difficult for those reasons.
0: And what about the flowers? Are they, is there any uh, commercial processing of the flowers?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there is. Uh, I wish there was more of it myself. It sort of seems to be a sideline of somebody who's doing mainly berries.
0: Coming up, we get into processing elderberry, and then we look at aronia, also known as the chokeberry. That's coming up in just a moment. Some shout outs today and a shout out to Teresia, who sent a note about the kitchen garden she's planning. I hope it does well for you. To Kyle for the fun picture. Thank you. And to Linda who's growing a lemon tree. And a big shout out to Arno. I ordered a map of Queen Elizabeth II Provincial Park because I'm planning a canoe trip there with the kids this summer. And the map arrived with a note from Arno who's a listener. For listeners and campers, Beautifully done water and tear resistant maps at latlong.ca, latlong.ca. So, thanks to all of you for being part of our food gardening gang. We have a couple of new articles on the website this week seven tips to boost your fig harvests in cold climates, also, an article about how to grow a lemon tree in a pot. You're listening to the Food Garden Life Show, the show that brings together gardening, food, and the human story with your hosts, Emma Biggs, and me, Stephen Biggs. Now, back to our chat with Laurie Brown. Well, before we leave elderberry, I should mention too that I think the only time I've seen an elderberry liqueur was in Quebec, and I saw a bottle of creme de seauro, and it had such a beautiful colour. It looked and tasted. I got some. It tasted beautiful.
1: Yeah, you can make wine out of out of elderberry. It could be a nice sideline for somebody who's already making wine and who wants to because they're very juicy, you know. Mm-hmm. I think they mm-hmm. sort of lend themselves well to liquid products. I know I've I've had elderberry pies and made them and I wouldn't trade them for, you know, a good uh,
0: blueberry pie. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> but um In terms of liquid products, I think they they hold up better.
0: I do have a last elderberry question before we move on. And I'm just trying to picture in an elderberry planting, how how manicured a a planting is it? Do people go in and prune heavily every year or is it left to its own?
1: Well, elderberries uh, will produce more if you don't let the branches get too old. And also, they'll be easier to pick because the young branches have bigger berries and bigger clusters. Instead of having a whole bunch of small clusters, you have fewer, bigger clusters. So everything gets a little bit easier. So either people will have individual bushes and go in and prune out the old branches or else sometimes they'll try and make them into sort of a hedge like a like a raspberry plantation. But that hasn't been done much in Quebec. It's what they do, um it's what they do in Missouri. I think we would be due for a few new cultivars. The the okay. ones we're using were developed, oh, I don't know, maybe 50 years ago in the Maritimes. You know, I think we should try again and see what we can come up with.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've seen ones called Scotia, I think, in Kent. So uh, that
1: Yeah. Scotia, Kent, Nova.
0: So new cultivars and what uh what kind of properties would would make it even better for production
1: oh well if i'm saying that it's cuz there's this american cultivar called york okay that we also grow in canada and york york has bigger berries and york has a better fruit set rate ah so the clusters look really full but york is very bland so what I would like to see is uh, getting better fruit set. And also, I think that the Canadian cultivars, at least under Q- Quebec conditions, are more likely to shatter. Like the berries will just fall off, uh, which is really not convenient. You know, sometimes just before harvest, you just kind of touch the cluster and the berries fall off. So that those are the things that that I would like to work on.
0: Let's move on to uh, something that I was surprised and excited to see on your list, which is aronia. Tell us about aronia. It's called the
1: chokeberry, sort of like the choke cherry, but the chokeberry, meaning neither of them taste very good.
0: <laughs>
1: and they both grow wild in Canada. Uh, but the chokeberry, it's a lower bush and it's almost black in color. Uh, So I guess I don't know how, when it happened, but um, nothing was going on with chokeberries in uh, Canada and the United States. We gave it a bad name and we just let it grow in the wild. But someone took some plants to Russia and in Russia, they crossed it with the uh, mountain ash, which is a distant cousin Hmm. and got much larger berries Uh, which still didn't taste very good. Okay. But anyway, they started growing them. And eventually we re-imported the cultivated aronias from Europe back into Canada and started growing them. So this is the berry that sort of supports that theory that um, the worse something tastes, the better it is for you, you know? (laughs) Uh, aronia is the king of antioxidants. It's got the other I've talked about elderberry and hascaps who have plenty, plenty of antioxidants, but the aronia has even more. Hmm. Uh, and the, I wouldn't want to say it tastes horrible, but what it has is astringence. It makes your mouth pucker. The When it gets closer to ripening, the astringence goes down, it never completely goes away as in the fresh fruit, but towards the end there, you can you can kind of like them. That's as close as I would get, but uh, they can make perfectly good juice and jelly. And then, then they taste fine. They're an industrial crop in Poland hmm. uh, where they grow them in large fields and harvest them with mechanical equipment and sell them to big factories there's a big demand for aronia powder uh, amongst uh, people who are very health conscious. And I think they're also going to attract people who uh, I think for people who have diabetes. So there's some very um, promising uses for aronia as a health supplement. But in that kind of model, it's sort of more favorable to large farms than A small farmer would never make a profit selling to a powder factory, you know, because they don't pay that kind of money. So I guess you'd either have to be really small and kind of make your own products or really big.
0: Mm.
1: And that's, there's a lot of people who have put their toe in the water thinking about being really big, but they haven't really done it yet in Canada. I would in in Quebec anyway, unless there's some projects I don't know about. I I worked with some people a few years back that came pretty close, but no, and yeah, so that's sort of sort of where it is. They're all different, eh?
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, so Aronia is just in a holding pattern, waiting for somebody to come along with the right model to take it to the next step. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, or there are some very small farms, and it's used. Uh, I have some clients that sell uh, sell it to microbreweries and things like that. It's a plant that's a little more tall, to- a little bit more tolerant to weeds mm. in its youth than than other ones. So it's often grown in windbreaks and things like that. They need water while the berries are ripening because they ripen during the hot part of the summer. Mm-hmm. So uh, need good irrigation, and they can be susceptible to the Drosophila fruit fly,
0: which Uh, I'm
1: sure you know about. Yes. Same as elderberry, because it's a late summer fruit.
0: And maybe a last erroneous question, Laurie, is in terms of care, is it a a fairly high-maintenance crop?
1: Well if you read online they'll say no bugs no diseases no problems no nothing. I wouldn't go that far. Um it can be susceptible to late spring frosts to a certain extent and it does have um it does have some pests and and some diseases. Apple borers that bore into the trunks of apple trees. Okay. You can get into them and make quite a mess. And uh, there's also little weevils that can get into the fruit. I think they'd be fine for uh, backyard growers. Uh, and you only need one. They, they're self-fertile. I'd say they're medium, medium easy on a
0: commercial scale. More to come with Laurie Brown next week on the podcast. That was our chat with Laurie Brown, an agronomist with Kulchurinov, and you can find them online at kulchurinov.qc.ca. What did you think? One thing that jumped out at me was the point that it takes years, reams of paper, and lots of money to get approval for medicinal products. For smaller producers, health supplements have a much lower cost of entry into the marketplace. I was also interested to think about all the different things to weigh when choosing a crop. Small farm versus large farm, fresh versus processing, and selling directly to consumers versus wholesaling. If this episode piqued your interest in small fruit, tune in to Season 5, Episode 52, where we talk to Bob Boers about hascaps, The episode is called Move Over Blueberries, a new fruit for the northern gardener. As we wrap up today's episode, I'm thinking about the first time I ate elderberries. An 18-year-old city boy working on a farm for the summer, and I was served a slice of elderberry pie with a dollop of vanilla ice cream. First time I'd had elderberries, and boy, was that delicious. The podcast is back next Thursday, and next Thursday, Laurie Brown is back. We have more crops to cover, more small fruit crops. Do you have feedback or show ideas? Or just want to connect? Find us at foodgardenlife.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where our handle is Food Garden Life. And you can find me on my website, emmabigs.ca, and on Instagram as emmabiggs underscore grows. You're listening to the Food Garden Life Show. I'm Stephen Biggs. And I'm Emma Biggs. Thanks for tuning in.